over the years, one of the things that uh, I have just really made it a personal conviction is is that I, I don't make fun of people that I love uh, publicly. Now that doesn't mean privately that we might not make fun of each other, but publicly I don't do that. And specifically one of the areas that I decided that I wouldn't make a part of my public life is I didn't want my public life to reflect ever making fun of my wife. And I think that I've worked pretty hard at that and I'm really thankful for that. But there is an interesting divide between our public lives and our private lives. You know, sometimes when you watch social media, you think that everybody who's married is absolutely in love. But sometimes the social media isn't telling you the whole truth of what a person is like or what's going on. You see, this public persona that we have sometimes can be different from the private persona I had. I have a cousin that's worked most of his life in Christian contemporary music. And the hardest thing for me is occasionally to mention an artist that I absolutely love and to watch him roll his eyes. Because even though publicly their experience might be incredible and really touch our lives, privately their lives just don't line up. Jesus Christ is going to talk to this as we continue in the red letters of the Sermon on the Mount today, as he talks about another challenge in the area of righteousness. Now, as we've been studying on the Sermon on the Mount in the red letters, the, he gave a challenge already that we know of, and he said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. He says, I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he gave us six examples that we kind of summarize this way. Expanded righteousness is a hard issue. It treats attitudes and actions equally. It prioritizes people, acts immediately, and imposes serious restrictions. We also found out that expanded righteousness is, is a mental issue. It says what it means, and it works hard to keep the promises it speaks. Thirdly, we found out that expanded righteousness is a control issue. It believes in God's vengeance, but does not practice personal vengeance. It loves all, not just those we find personally lovable. Boy, wouldn't it be great if right now in America, we would be waiting on God's justice in the midst of the situation instead of the vigilanteism and the frustration that is overflowing in our society today since the de the death of George. But today we have a second warning. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 1 it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Wow. You know, one of the things that we talked about, or I talked about the dichotomy of, is that sometimes who we are publicly is very different than who we are privately. And there are some people that really know how to act spiritual publicly, but privately, they might even be in a position where God would say, I'm not even sure I know who you are. So he gives several examples of the practices of our faith and the things that he's warning us to. He starts by giving us um, 
He is the, the example of the practice of benevolence. Now, one of the things that's always interesting is occasionally every one of us comes across people that are needy and we have an opportunity not to call our church and ask them to take care of it, but we have an opportunity to quietly take care of that need ourselves. But that wasn't always happening in this culture. Listen to what he says in the warning. He says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues in the, and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, truly, I say to you, they have received their full reward. Now, this is the new formula that Jesus Christ is going to use. He's going to start with the idea of this is what people do, and this is how our people are receiving their reward. And the first idea was, is that people were involved in taking care of needy people, but they were doing it in such a way that other people noticed. Uh, they, they were involved in it, but they, they also used it as an opportunity for a soundbite and, and a moment of personal promotion. And basically what Jesus Christ said to them is, I tell you that they have received the reward. You see, their goal wasn't pleasing God. Their goal was looking good before men. And Jesus says they've received that reward because they've looked good before men. He goes on and he says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And, I, and when I first saw this, I thought, what an interesting illustration. But what he was saying is, you see, the extroverted personality wants other people to notice when they do good things. But the introverted personality can be excited about the audience that knows there too. And they can get all kind of proud out of the reality of what they did. God is telling us that not only do we have to fight the righteousness of other people seeing what we do, but we have to fight the self-righteousness of being overly excited about going, you know, I really took care of the poor there well. I'm a pretty awesome person. That was really cool what I did. He says instead that what we're supposed to do is this. So that he says, don't let your, the, let's go back to that verse. It says, but do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You know, the bottom line is that we need to understand that in general, we're selfish and that we're going to take care of ourselves. Not many of us have skipped a whole bunch of meals. We know how to eat. You know, there is this way that we are very good at self-care. But occasionally God will just kind of step in and prod us to take care of someone. And we have to realize that, first of all, that probably would not have been an idea we would have thought of alone. But that it's an opportunity for us to do something and be what other scripture talk about. Where we are not our own hands and feet. But we are the hands and feet of God in heaven. Uh, I remember that when we lived back in Indiana, there was this man. Um, and he was a little scary, a little creepy. But for some reason, he loved our family. And he would come over to our house and he'd go, 
Pastor Jim, I can tell you've been really busy this week. And I'd go, well, how do you know that? He says, because you didn't mow your yard. You know, if you're too busy to mow your yard, you're too busy. And I said, well, yeah, it's kind of been a busy week. He says, I'm going to mow your yard. And he quietly do that. Now, I didn't get up the next Sunday morning and say, you know, I have the opportunity to mow pastor's yard. No, he didn't do that. He just quietly took care of us. It reminds me of Jim Butler, who quietly would buy me shoes to take care of me. There are ways that we can take care of the needy, but the key word is that we need to do it in secret, realizing that this is an opportunity to do something unique between us and God. The second practice that he talked about is prayer. He said this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. You know, there are some people that are great public orators. You know, I look at this and I think, oh my goodness, I I pray out loud all the time. And yet the challenge here is why are you praying out loud? He's not saying that we're not supposed to have public prayers. I, I think that this moment calls for more of us coming together in the smaller of groups and praying than ever before. I was talking to Lori Appleton about that reality. And that is something that we should be doing. But he's saying, why do you pray? I remember teaching a man to pray and he prayed for the first time out loud and about halfway through the prayer, he wasn't sure what to say. And so he looked at me and he says, is it okay if I say this? And I said, that's perfectly fine. But the, the most joyous part of that is when he got done, he looked at me and he says, how did I do? And I thought, you know, God is very pleased with what you did because this wasn't about pleasing us. This was about pleasing him. And so he tells us that in the same way we should have a secret benevolence, he tells us that we should have private prayers. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father as who, it, who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, the reality is that there needs to be For us to have a vibrant faith, it's not that other people should see our faith. It's that God should see that we're growing in an intimate and real relationship with him. And so your life needs to be signified by private prayer. Uh, There's a third example. Um, Well, uh, let me just give a caveat here. Now, if you have your Bible in front of you, you'll notice it says a whole bunch more about prayer in verses 7 through 15. And we're going to discuss them next week because we're taking a look at this idea that goes along with the warning and some of that goes a little further out. So just trust me, next week we'll talk more about what, what this scripture has to say about prayer. The third practice that it says is, is the practice of fasting. And it says this, it says, And when you fast, do not look gloomily like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. You know, a part of our faith and a part of our experiences, there are times that I think that God calls us 
to set aside our physical need of hunger to reach to him in a spiritual need of hunger. And there were days and it was a part of the routine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees at that time to go abroad and to be a part of the process of fasting. But they made a big deal out of it. They, they made it look like they were just going through absolutely horrible things. And, and they were drama queens. I don't know how else to put it. And whenever they fasted, instead of it being a private thing, it was a very public thing, you know. Well, you know, you have to understand that I'm fasting, you know. They would come to a meal and they'd go, oh, I can't eat anything right now because I'm fasting. Um, it's kind of like those before and after pictures you see of people who are losing weight or taking certain kinds of medication and that kind of thing. In the before picture, it doesn't look like, it looks like they just rolled out of bed. But then all of a sudden in the after picture, their hair's made up and their makeup and they look completely different. Their, their bodies are glowing. God is telling us that we can be a part of having this private part to life, this hidden fast. He says this, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. That your fast may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, we have to be really careful to make sure that we understand the audience of our Christian experience. The audience of our Christian experience is not the person sitting next to you in the pew. It's not the person that reads your social media account. It's not the person that is in your small group. The audience of your spiritual life is the Lord. And we need to remember that. And he is the one who rewards you. You know, one of the things that a pastor taught me years ago is he says, when you get done with your sermon, you should be able to look your wife in the eye and say, how did I do? And she should not look away from you because she realizes the things that you have just preached are hypocrisy, but that your life lines up with what you're saying. I think that more important than even being able to do that with your spouse or your closest friends is for us to once in a while look at the Lord and say, how am I doing? Is our relationship real? Is it intimate? Is it growing? I think that that what David said in the end of Psalm 139 really fits well with this. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So let's just break down this warning, okay? The first thing that I think that you got to, maybe you didn't notice it, but the first thing is that benevolence, prayer, and fasting are not if issues, they are when issues. In other words, it's interesting that God basically assumed, if you take a look at each part of this, of this lesson, you'll see that he says, when you pray, when you fast, when you give. It's not if you do these things. These are supposed to be regular parts of our experiences because they're not ifs, they're whens. And so you're saying, well, but pastor, I, I don't do all these things. Well, I think that you need to consider them. 
there are many other facets to how we practice our faith. But generosity, prayer, and fasting should be a part of that. The second thing is this. Our faith walk must flow from what is private, secret, and hidden. It can't just be what's public. I, I, I was in a Bible study a while ago, and one of the people in the Bible study said this. is, You know, I really never study the Bible on my own. I just study it when I go to groups like this. And I thought, ooh, you're missing out. Because there is something about that moments that we just spend with God. And you're saying, well, but it's hard. Well, relationships are hard. Every relationship is hard. Why would our relationship with God be any different? But our faith walk must flow from what is private, secret, and hidden. The last point is this. We have to ask ourselves, who is the audience of our righteousness? If you're extroverted, the options are probably are going to be God or man. But if you're an introvert, maybe your choices is God and yourself. But we have to ask ourselves, what does our righteousness look like? And how are we practicing our righteousness? And how are we growing in our relationship with the Lord? You know, I've been doing two sets of premarital counseling right now. And we spend all kinds of talking, time talking about this reality. The center of a great relationship is incredible communication. I think that's true of our relationship with the Lord. But it's the secret, private, hidden things that are the strength of the righteousness that God gives us between ourselves and him. Now, here's a, here's a point, though. These things are not um, a substitute for how you begin a relationship with God. The only way you can begin a relationship with God is quietly going to the Lord and telling him that you need him to be your savior. It's, it's an individual thing. I can't do it for you. I, I, I was in a meeting once where a pastor stood in front and he, he talked about the sinner's prayer and he said, everybody repeat what I say right now. Well, everybody in the room felt the need to repeat what he said right now. And so he took the ideas of the sinner's prayer or that prayer that we pray for salvation and he made everybody do it. And then he declared this afterwards. All of you, because you said those words, are saved. That's not true. If you mean those words because of your private experience of realizing you need a Savior, it's true. If you realize that you have a broken relationship with God and you want to repair that relationship, that's why Jesus Christ came to take the punishment for your sins so that you could have that relationship with God. The goal isn't just fire insurance to make sure we don't go to hell. The goal is a meaningful, thoughtful relationship with the God of heaven. So if you don't have that relationship, I encourage you. You know, the words of the sinner's prayer do work. They're a pattern for us to follow. But what really matters was what's privately happening inside of you. I pray that you make that decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you do, there's a form to fill out that's underneath all this stuff on the live stream. We would love to know about that so that we can help you grow in that. Let's close our, our, this part of our service in prayer. Dear God, thank you for caring so deeply for us that you desire to have a meaningful relationship with us. 
And God, that you will reward and bless what is hidden and secret and private. And God, I pray that we would develop that part of our Christian experience. God, may it be just like an iceberg where what is unseen is far greater than what other people see. And God, help us as we practice our salvation and we work out the righteousness that you're building into us. Help us to remember that you are the most important audience. And so it's more important to grow in intimacy with you than to impress other people, even to impress ourselves. So God, help us to heed this warning and help us to live a life that you will reward. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, um, one of the things that I've been doing lately is I, uh, I've been taking this dad challenge on Facebook where one of my cousins challenged me to do all these pictures of things that represented being a father. So I've been doing that on Facebook. been kind of funny because one or two of the pictures are birthdays and I didn't explain it, it was a fatherhood experience. So now everybody thinks that Stephen's birthday is sometime in June instead of being in November because there was a picture of him getting a birthday cake. Uh, so those are things are kind of funny. But when I was paging through all my, my pictures on, in my phone, uh, I came across something. Um, uh, well, let me just show it to you. Um, it's this picture right here. This is from October of 1993. We had just, we were one year into the process of purchasing the home. And um, we had raised $21,792.47 by that time. Um, that would have been over six years ago. Uh, and that's kind of where we were at at that time. Now, the last time that we met together, um, this is where we were. Um, well, we'll go back a step. And Nancy, just put these to full screen while I talk about them. Uh, so they're easier for people to see. So, in January of 2019, we made the decision that we were going to um, do what we could to pay the debt off. And that's why we had that first slide a couple months ago that talked about debts to dreams. And this is where we were in 2019. And um, the last time we met together in March, this is where we were. And God has done absolutely amazing things. But the one thing that's been true of this whole time, and kind of the standing joke is that even though we keep on turning over tiles all the time, we have never been able to turn over the tile for the dog. It's like that tile has become uh, like this thing that we're looking forward to. And I want to tell you something really exciting, okay? Uh, there's been a gift to put on top of the other gifts that have been given so far. And, you know, this has been an amazing process and because we have done this whole thing $5 and $10 at a time. We didn't have some big grant come and give us a bunch of money. We have been doing this one little step at a time. 
Well, anyway, there was enough money given, so I was able to turn over the dog. But actually, uh, okay, well, there actually was enough money given in this last week that we could turn over all the rest of the tiles. So we have gone from being um, people that owed some money to everything is black now because we are announcing today that we have paid off the mortgage for the church. Can you even believe it? I'm very excited. So I asked Bob to come to church today. And Bob has always talked a little bit about wanting to write a word across this whole thing. So we gave Bob a plaque that he gets to put on here and he's going to say a, a couple words. see me go over here hello i haven't seen everybody in about 13 weeks but the word is to telestai and uh, john 1930 jesus at his last words were on he said um it is finished and i always loved that word and the word in greek is to telestai it is finished and i just think there's nothing greater than when you finish something um, uh, in the iron man they don't want a dnf did not finish and we don't want a DNF for this, but we finished it by God's grace and by uh, the generosity of people and, uh, and us to stay the, stay the course. And uh, dreams, uh, Jim said, debt's to dream. So the debt is gone. What's the dream? We don't know what the dream is yet. God hasn't given it to us yet. But so thankful that this is, uh, we started something and finished it. Uh, as a carpenter, we just, you know, you got to finish what you start. You know, there's a lot of start carpenters, and we don't want to be a start anything. We want to be finishers. So praise God for his grace and mercy. Praise God for everyone's uh, energy and strength and to, and to stay the course. So as we stay the course, we continue. Um, what's the dream now? We've got to ask God. But it is finished, and can't wait to put it out in the sanctuary and to see all our, our visitors and guests and iron people that came up and helped us with this debt, and uh, now it's finished. So... What's the dream? We'll have to ask God to continue to fit us with that dream. Bob, why don't you pray for us? Dear Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your mercy over us. We do pray that you would say to this virus to go away. And in the midst of it, Father, you'll show us how to weather the storm with your help and your grace. And you'll walk us through it. And you'll help us, Father, as a church family to know how to get back together safely and, and be an encouragement to one another. And we could all share our our at-home stories, and we just say thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for being a part of our podcast today, and uh, uh, we're excited to see all that God's going to do because God is faithful, and uh, he keeps his promises. He certainly has to this church. God bless you. So glad that you were here. Have a great day. Okay. It is really in the middle of the pandemic. God took care of this.
Oh. Do you remember when we only had 20,000 raised? It was well, just like, in that sign that you showed, amount raised this week, $419. <laughs> <laughs> you know, amount paid so far, 20000 something. You know, it's like, wow. So and that was when um, we were just saving up for the down payment. Yeah. yeah. We were paying the rent. We were just renting it from them, right? Mm -hmm. And we also had enough in that, was it two years that we rented? That we didn't have to do the PMI interest um, uh, or uh, insurance. No, we didn't have to do that. More than the, than the um, higher percentage. Yeah, we had more than twenty percent down, right? And then the loan changed at the last moment, so we could pay it off. Yeah. Pay it off instead of. Can you imagine emotionally how hard it would have been to save having all that money and not? We have one hundred fifty thousand in the bank that we couldn't get.
Jonathan Gravetta, he's making faces at me or something. Yeah. You, know, you don't have that. It's hard to know. Well, and that's why I said to him, don't look at them because, you know, he's gotten used to that. But yeah. I watch him on the screen because if I look at him, he'll look at me. Yeah. 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 It's, very, it's a very hollow feeling to come to the end of the service and say goodbye and then go, okay, let's shut down the equipment. We're done. Well, it's like Mrs. Doubtfire when you can see her this and that, and then they high five each other, and everybody leaves. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yep. But there would be video. We don't know what TV evangelists. But you know.